0: Well, welcome, and thank you for, uh, again, having me. Hope all of you had a good night's rest, and I hope all of you uh, had a good discussion last night uh, regarding the book of James and regarding what we've been going over. You know, it's, it's always fun to, to talk and, and meet with you, and I hope I have more time today to to speak with some of you, and, and some of you we've known each other a long time, and some of you I've never met before, and I would love to uh, interact with you, because retreat's a great time to um, kind of catch up in a, in a deeper way. It's not just Sunday where you know you you only have a few hours, you have a whole day to, to talk with people and, and to see how they're doing. and how life has been and and really get to the deeper things. And so as you get into your small groups, I hope you do choose to open up, and especially for the quiet ones, for the ones that feel like, you know, I don't have anything significant to say during these small groups. I don't have anything uh, really that's insightful. Many times, even just you participating in answering some of the questions or just uh, having your response to what the word of God has to say um, may not bless yourself. But it may bless someone else. It may really bless them to hear what you have to think. Um, retreat's also a fun time just to, just to talk about uh, the stresses that you have at work and uh, just the frustrations you have, just that you can kind of get it off your chest. And I remember our church's retreat last year, uh, I was sitting down with... Um, with one of the ladies at our church, and she's a VP for Microsoft, and so she's in a very high position. She travels all the time. It's funny because she lives in Denver, but her office is in Seattle, and so she like commutes, and not even commutes. Like, she's just very important, so she can, she can live wherever she wants. And so I'm sitting down with her, we're eating breakfast at the retreat site, and I thought it was so funny because she was just uh, telling me all her stresses at work. And it wasn't funny because she has stress at work, it was funny because she was complaining about millennials. And she was, she was telling me, she goes, Pastor Jeremy, I have a problem. I hate millennials. I hate them. She's like, they're lazy. They're entitled. They want more vacation hours. You know, I'm managing a team. And they're all, all these millennials. And, and, and they have no experience They're they're unqualified, they have opinions. They're just really, they're frustrating me. They critique everything, but they don't know how to fix anything. And and she's going on and on and on. And I'm just like, you're right. These millennials suck. And and we're having this great conversation. We're we're having all these things. And um, she's like, okay, I gotta go take care of my kids. And uh, she gets up and she leaves. And I was like, I don't think she knows, but I'm a millennial. (laughs) And, and it, was, it, was, it was really funny to me because uh, that's kind of the situation at my church. Most people are uh, like Gen Xers or they're boomers. And so um, in, in their small groups, in my small group, oh, for goodness sake, in our small groups, a lot of what happens is, is there's like um, a time to bash on millennials. <laughs> and and I, I've had this happen on multiple occasions. Um, even when I uh, get lunch with some people... and. And the job of a pastor is really wonderful because uh, I get to go eat at any restaurant and people pay for me. <laughs> we just go there and they talk about it. But I know another guy. He owns a business and he just talks about um, how frustrated he is with some of his workers. And and most of them are millennials. And uh, he runs his company and he has his millennials. And he goes, you know, what is a mental health day? And he he to telling me, he's like, these millennials come in and they and they demand mental health days. He's like, they're not sick. They're not going on vacation they're just staying at home and playing video games and and they're calling it a mental health day i'm required to give them a mental health day and he goes these darn millennials like i'm so frustrated by them and i, I look at him like hey man like that's me like i'm a millennial and he goes oh no no, i like you i like you and i like there are some millennials that are good but i know so it's not a generalization but man a lot of these millennials they just want their coffee. They just want, they just want their boutique you know, hipster things. And I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm frustrated by it too. Um, but maybe you're just frustrated with like lazy workers. Maybe you're frustrated <laughs> with just like um, the, the, the badness of, of human nature. And again, this is just a guy. Uh, he's, he's not even that much older. He's, he's uh, a good guy. And I realized just how many times, uh, even in a very Christian environment, We make these stereotypes um, that may not hurt a lot, may not offend a lot. um, But I remember thinking when I first got there, the reason why the church hired such a young pastor to be their, their senior pastor was because, ironically, they wanted more millennials to come to the church. See, they hired me because they were a group of a lot older people, very established, and they had their kids. But their kids didn't want to come back to church. Their kids were in college getting jobs, and their kids were telling their parents, no, 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 I don't want to go to your church anymore. That's your church. I don't want to go. And so when they hired me, they are like, we're going to bring Pastor Jeremy on, and he's going to bring our kids back to church. And so there was this big, this big call for me to bring these kids Their children who, again, I'm the same age as their kids, back into the church. And what I realized was a lot of the reason why their kids don't want to come back to church was because when they come back to church, they're just put in the lowest category. They're the millennials. You're useless. You need to grow up. You need to become an adult. You need to know some responsibility. You need to learn how to serve. You need to learn how to do. You need to learn how to do the works of what it means to be a Christian. And again, this is the, the same critique and commentary I've heard from church to church to church, talking to the young people. And I remember it was one thing that was very interesting because I could have taken either side in this argument where it was saying, these young people are so biblically illiterate. And it was, it was basically taking a dump on these kids and saying, how can you be so biblically illiterate? And I'm like, you know what? You're kind of right, because I talked to some of these young people, they don't know anything about the Bible. But you know whose fault it really is? The parents. You you're the ones that are supposed to teach your kids. You're the ones that are supposed to teach them about the Bible. And so if they're biblically illiterate, maybe it's your fault. And so it becomes this war, it becomes this battle. And interestingly enough, there was a similar battle in the book of James, or at least in that context. And it wasn't between millennials and boomers. Their battle was between the rich and the poor. Their battle was between those that had and those that didn't have. And so what happened is this, is that when someone who was rich came into their church... When someone who was wealthy came to the church, they were like, hey, take the seat of honor. And everyone would come. The welcoming team would, would be all around them. And, and what I, what I see this happening is it's not really the rich and the poor in our context. It's usually the married couples with young children that when they come into the church, it's like, all right, everybody. Everybody got it? Everybody? Let's go say hi. 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 It's great meeting you. What are your kids' names? Oh, they're so cute. They're so wonderful. They're so beautiful. But what ends up happening for us is if someone comes in and they're single and they're they don't have kids, we don't, we don't want to say hi. We go we go up to them. And, hi, what's your name? Are you dating anybody? Oh I, I, here, I know someone, he's a great guy, he's wonderful, and so you should you should kind of go date because we wanna get them to that position where they become married and have kids. And so we begin to separate, and we begin to show preferential treatment. We begin to try to get people to be somewhere in their context, in their situation, rather than what our real call is, which is not to make our community a community of married people with kids, but to make our community a community that loves Christ, that loves Jesus, that regardless of their social status, regardless of their age, regardless of their race, their nationality, regardless of how many children they have, regardless of how much money they make, that when they come to church, none of that matters. None of that is placed as a label, as a category that they are put in or placed in. The category that we're placed in is that we are followers Of Christ. And yes, it's not to deny the fact that we have children or that we don't have children or that we're married or we don't have married. That we're single or that we're unemployed, that we're employed. None of that is discounted. But that is not why we meet. This is not a country club. This is not something where you come in, you pay your dues, and there are tiers and levels, which if you, if you spend this much time, then you are upgraded. <laughs> you are upgraded to the better position in church, that you are upgraded to be a, a more important leader. And what, whoever is on leadership, if it's not an upgrade, it's actually a downgrade. That when you become a leader, you become a servant. That your title is not to say, I'm more important. You're saying, it's actually that I'm here to serve you. I'm here to set the tables and make everything good so that when someone comes in, they don't look at me and say that I'm important. They look at me and say that I'm here to help them. And I guarantee you, if your church begins to look at people and has this heart to help them, Rather than how they how then they can help you, your church may not grow, but it'll become more healthy. But I, what I notice a lot of time that happens when a newcomer comes, we instantly judge them, not in a bad way. And again, I'm 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 not saying bad or good, but we judge them. What's their gifting? What are they good at? Are they are they good at technology? We should put them in the back. Are they, are you a singer? You look like a singer. Let me hear you sing. Ah, uh, you're okay. Uh, maybe you can play substitute. Do you play an instrument? Oh, you play the drums? Mo needs help on the drums. You know, he needs, he needs some days off. So if you, can, if you can play the drums, then you know what? Let's fast track you and we're going to get you a lunch with Pastor Paul. He will introduce you to our church. You'll, you'll become a member real quick and you can be on the worship team because we need you. What if church wasn't about using the people that come in, but what if it's about us helping them to come to know the Lord? And if helping them come to the Lord means that when they're on worship team, they, they get to know God more because they're taking the time to worship not only in personal worship, but to lead worship. Maybe doing the AV department is their act of worship rather than their act of service. I think a lot of us get the two terms confused and we get them mixed up because we look at so much as service because we're so works-based. <laughs> it's, it's I'm serving. Oh, I'm doing such a good work. My faith is so good because I'm working rather than the opposite is that I am doing an act of worship because my faith works. Because my faith is strong, I want to grow in my faith. So I want to worship, and the way I worship is by doing doing the slides. Is by is by welcoming people to come in, is by doing uh you know, having the offering basket go around. It's it's by being the person who directs traffic in the parking lot, who does children's ministry, who does youth ministry. The way that I worship God is by doing these things, and so what I find very interesting is when a newcomer comes in, we're looking at their service. How can they serve, rather than how can I help them worship? There's a very big difference. It may look the same, but when a newcomer comes in, you should be asking yourself if you really want to welcome them, is not how they can serve the church, but it's how they can worship God. And you want to be able to make a community that if that person's coming in and saying, I just want to learn what it means to worship, then man, just come in and sing these songs or listen to the word or, or just come to my house church. And you don't need to do, you don't need to do anything. You don't need to work. Just come and worship with us. And your worship can look by just coming to my house every Wednesday night for dinner. And that's worship, man. That's fellowship. That's In our fellowship, Christ is there and we are recognizing His presence and we are giving Him the glory. We are giving Him the thanks. And so that's all you need to do. Church isn't this big thing. Church isn't this big commitment that we make it out to be. But what we find is as you grow in a deeper relationship with the Lord, as you grow in your love and affection, for him as you learn how beautiful christ is and how comforting the holy spirit is it doesn't become this aspect of of okay I, I, sunday's good enough i only want to worship on sunday it becomes this man lord you're so good i'm so passionate about your name about your word i want to do more and that's where god can whisper in your ear and say hey why don't you lead a house church why don't you invite your coworker to come to lunch and you can evangelize to them, not by telling them how evil they are and how sinful they are, but just share with them. Share with them your heart. Share with them, you know, what you're going through and your love. And it's in this relationship that it's not an upgrade, but it's a, it's a deeper commitment we make. You know, um, the story of how I met my wife is, is kind of weird, I guess, because my wife and I were just friends. And, and a lot of people don't really believe me when I say this, but when I first met her, there was no sparks. There was nothing that was like, oh my goodness, you're beautiful and I love you and I wanna marry you right away. I met her and I was like, hey, she's like my sister. You know, she's like, we're buddy-buddy, we're, 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 we're pals. And that's how it was. I remember freshman year, it was, it was basically you know, my wife and Sarah. And uh, like the three of us would hang out and we were just really close and we were really, like really good friends and uh, we were just hanging all the time. And, and I remember, you know, you know, Sarah was like my sister, Grace, my wife was like my sister. And, and that's kind of how it was. And we were kind of like a little family and, and, and just hanging all the time. And so when we graduated, when we graduated, there was a very big difference between my wife and myself. I had dated as much as I wanted and I dated a lot of other people and I'd kind of gone around and and it's kind of weird because even after college I I was dating other people and you know going on these dates um with various people and my wife never dated anyone and and I remember we were still very good friends and I would tell her oh yeah I want to date with this person I want to date with this person and she she would kind of listen and be like oh that's good she was actually the one where um I had a girlfriend and I broke up with her and I went to lunch with my with, with Grace who wasn't my wife but um I went to lunch with her I told her I broke up with my girlfriend. She's like, good job. <laughs> she was she was not good for you. And, and that was kind of like the relationship we had. And um, I, I remember this was it, was, it was really weird because there was one moment, there was one moment we went out to breakfast together. And we never got breakfast together because that was kind of weird. But we got breakfast together and we met up at this really, um, really cute French bistro in Austin. And, and, and we went there. And I remember it was the first time, I sat with her at breakfast, and I was like, "Dang, she's pretty," <laughs> and I was like, "What happened?" And that was the first time because I'm, I'm a, i am i am guess, especially with my friends, I, I, I'm comfortable. I'm very like, I'm very, I'm very talkative. I'm, I'm very energetic. But I remember that breakfast, I was like fumbling over my words. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was like I, I, was, I became a bumbling idiot. And she was, I mean, she didn't even care. She was just like, all right, whatever. Let's eat and, you know, just talk and, and, and go. And I remember I had lunch with my sister. So after that breakfast, I had lunch with my little sister. And I told her, I was like, oh, no, Jamie. I think I like Grace. You know, I think I like her. And um, this, is, this is really where my little sister gave me the best wisdom that my little sister has ever given me. I told her, I was like, you know, I don't want to be that guy that's friends with the girl that secretly likes that girl. Like, I just want to come out and tell her that I like her and just be upfront. And because, you know, we've been friends for so long now, and I just want to tell her that I, I, I de- developed feelings for you and just be upfront with her right away. And Jamie was like, is she worth losing the friendship for? And I was like, you know, that's a good, that's a good question. Because if I tell her that I like her and she responds, I don't like you back then we can't be friends. Like, everyone says that. Like, let's just be friends. You can't just be friends. You know, that's like a, it's a very awkward thing because then they know that you like them and they're like, I don't like you. And how can you have that kind of deep friendship? You can't. So my little sister was saying, is she worth risking the friendship? Uh... I, I really went home and I thought about it, and I called her up and I said, hey, let's go out to dinner, and she blew me off. She's like, nah, I can't go to dinner tonight. So I was like, all right, well, if you can't go to dinner, I need to tell you something. And so over the phone, I told her, uh, <laughs> I, I told her, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, but I, I think I like you. No, I, I like you. And I know you don't feel the same way, but uh, I just need to tell you, and, yeah, I I don't think I can be friends if I like you and you don't like me back. I I just don't want to mess with that. And I know, you know, we're really close friends, but... (sighs) And and, and you know what my wife said? Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't like you. (laughs) And I was like, I know, I know. And again, this is where it was. It was like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And she's like, oh, Jeremy, like... I'm sorry and I was like no, no 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 I totally know like we've been friends for so long and there's never been a a, a spark there's never been that like oh my gosh we like each other uh, because I remember we even had a conversation I, I, I spoke with my wife um, we were walking together and uh, this was before we were dating and I was asking her um, I was asking her what's your kind of like what's your type like what's what's your type of guy because I was, I was kind of you know curious like hey you know, maybe maybe I'm her type and she described a guy that was the exact opposite of me. And I was like, all right, you don't want me. You want, you want the opposite of me. You know, she wanted a guy who was quiet and strong. She wanted a guy who, um, who didn't follow the rules. I remember that was one of the things she said. She's like, I want a guy who's like, you know, he doesn't listen to the rules. He, he, he kind of goes to the beat of his own drummer. And I'm like, man, all I do is, is go to the beat of the drum. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm a rule follower. And the fact you want someone that is like a rebel, man, that's not me. So when she said she didn't like me, I was like, no, I totally understand. You want, you want someone, someone cool. I'm not cool. And, uh, and I was like, that's fine. But, you know, um, I'm really sad that we're not friends anymore. But, you know, I hope you understand. Um, obviously it worked out okay because we're married and we have kids, but, um, she called me back a couple days later and she was like, you know, I really thought about it. And, um, you know, you are a guy that's like really good. And I guess I've been, you know, I friend zoned you so hard basically (laughs) that I never even considered you, you know, like that. And so she's like, Hey, maybe we should, uh, try this. You know, I think, I think I can, you know, we can try. And so anyways, long story short, we started dating. And then after we dated, we got married very quickly. Um, and it was, it was a beautiful thing, but I, I think I learned something in that, in that interaction with my wife and her, her friendship all those years. I think what I realized is that a lot of us have a friendship with God. And it's great. And it's gone really well. Just being friends with God. Just, just being like where he is. He's always there for you. He's always going to be there for you. Is my mic going in and out? A little bit, huh? Let me, I think the battery's probably dying. Um, let me use this mic. Testing. Is this on? Am I good? Hello, testing, testing. All right. Ooh. Okay. So, can we turn it down just a little bit? There was one thing I learned about my wife and I in this, in this situation. And really, it's, it's the fact that a lot of us are friends with God. And, and in this friendship, it's very comfortable. Very little risk, very little commitment. Very little there is to do because you're just friends and and God is there for you whenever you need him um, just to talk to and just to help you, especially in the hard times.
1: And and for a lot of you, that's
0: where you're comfortable and that's where you want to stay. And I'm not here to guilt you into, into diving into deeper commitment with the Lord. But I think a lot of us are doing a very big disservice when we're just friends with God. And we call ourselves Christians. And I'm not here to judge. And and please, don't take it as a judgment. I think there's a reason. There's a reason why the church gets such a bad reputation. It's because there are people that are not in love with God. That are not wanting to live with the Lord. They're not wanting to be united to the Lord. And yet, they take on his last name. And yet they say, I'm a part of his family. Yet they say, I'm his spouse. Yet they say, I am a part of the church, which is the bride of Christ. And what ends up happening is just because you call yourself a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean that you're more more than friends. And yet some of you aren't even that good friends with God. And some of you, it's not saying, hey, you need to marry God. You need to get baptized. You need to have a confession of faith. Some of you, the purpose of the church is not for you to jump into marriage with God. It's for you to learn the sweetness of that friendship with the Lord. But again, this is why it's such a tricky thing when it comes to church, when it comes to living life with one another, when it comes to being in community, because we're not here to judge, we're here to help. We're not here to judge, we're here to help. And in the same way that when someone comes in through the door and they're single, it's not here to judge their singleness and say, you're single, you must be unhappy. Let me fix that for you. And it's not the same way that when a married couple comes in with kids and they're all dressed in their Sunday best, and they look good, that we're here to say, oh man, you're perfect. You can serve. It would be good for you to serve because you're married and have kids. So here, come and serve and be on all the teams and be on all the leadership, be on everything because you look like you're healthy. I can see and I can judge that you're healthy. So come and serve. For all you know, the single person that walks through the door, they're way more healthy than the married couple. Their relationship with God is much stronger, much deeper, more committed. And what they're being called to do is far more difficult than what the married couple needs to be nurtured in. Sometimes that married couple, they're just friends with God. Sometimes the married couple, they're just so distant from God, they need to be led into friendship with the Lord. And hopefully that friendship develops into a depth and commitment to the Lord, and then they can help, and then they can serve. And sometimes a single person, if you give the single person the responsibilities of someone that is a friend of God, rather than a lover of God, then you're just going to frustrate that single person. They're going to say, you know, I love the Lord. Why am I being relegated to things that I'm not even good at? Why am I being relegated to to worship in the way that it's not, not really the way that I need to worship my love, my Savior? But we are good at judging people. And and this is what the book of James talks about. And so would you open up your Bibles with me to James chapter 2, starting from verse 1. And again, this is going to talk a lot about rich and poor. And, and we do have rich and poor, um, a difference in the church, those that have a high income and those that have low income. And I, I'm not saying that this is uh, inapplicable. It is, it is very much applicable to our day and age. Those that have uh, are, uh, the upper middle class are very many times very ostracized or the lower middle class is very ostracized from the upper middle class and there's this awkwardness because they can't afford the same thing but I think this even cuts deeper in our culture because a lot of times the people in the lower middle class can at least fake their way and make themselves look like their upper middle class and so a lot of times when someone comes to the door we have no idea what their income is because we can't see it physically whereas in the time of James when he was writing this, there's no way to fake it. There, weren't, there wasn't an easy way to take out credit card loans and make sure you look like you are making a lot of money. The poor looked poor and the rich looked rich. So when they walked in, it was very apparent who was rich and who was poor. So let's read, starting from verse 1. It says, My brothers, and remember it's my brothers and sisters, but my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. No partiality. The Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring And fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there. Or you sit down at my feet. Or you sit with the kids. Verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Let's stop there. We're going we're to continue reading, but let's stop there for a moment. So what James is talking about is a problem in the early church. And I, I think it's a very um, natural human, human response is that when someone rich comes in, they're wearing a gold ring, and they come in, it's like, man, we're a poor church. <laughs> we got we got bills to pay, you know, we got we got mouths to feed. And so when someone rich comes in, it's like, yo, they're my golden ticket. They're they're what's gonna pay my salary. So hey, come sit. And 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 as pastor, we know who who the nice people are. And so when someone new comes in, hey, Alicia, go say hi. Let's go say hi. Because, because you know, your smile is just going to make them Want to come back to church And, and we, we keep them away from the grumpy people And I, I, none of you are grumpy So I, I don't know anyone who's grumpy But you know, we, we keep them away from the grumpy people The ones that are going to critique And going to complain And going to uh, have a negative value Oh yeah, Hannah's pointing at Lee Lee's not grumpy Lee's, <laughs> Lee's not <wonderful>. Yes <laughs> But what we do is when we see someone we like, we judge them. And again, it's not this judgment that it's like you're terrible or you're great. It's a judgment, that, it's a judgment call. We look at them and we're like, oh, you're Korean. You're Asian. You know, that's great. Come over to my house. But if someone who, who doesn't fit that profile, you know, someone who, imagine a grandfather walked in. Like an old, old man walked into your church, walked into to this church. There's a lot of people that would look at, I don't even want to talk to that person because, man, he's so old and I, I, what am I going to say? What if he only speaks, you know, in a language that I don't speak? I, I don't want to even go up to someone else, someone older. Pastor Paul, well, you can go talk to him. <laughs> you know? Amen. Why would I go talk? Why would I go talk to that person? And you know what, married people, the same thing happens when a single young person walks in. Oh, thank God we have other singles here because I don't I don't need to go talk to them. If I go talk to them, they're gonna think I'm weird because they're you know they're surrounded by other married people. You know, they're single, they'll they're they're gonna wanna sit with the other single people. And so we judge. And we think it's wise, we think it's smart. We think in order for us to be a healthy church, we need to make these distinctions. We need to use these prejudices in a way that is going to make our ministry efficient. It's going to impact more people. But really, that's not the gospel at all. That's not the gospel to put these categories into play. To make it where the church is divided. The church is to be unified in the reason why we meet. We meet because we are followers of Christ. We don't meet because we're Asian. We don't meet because we are upper middle class. We don't meet because we have kids. The sin of partiality is one that many times we kind of gloss over because we think, yeah, I don't care if they're rich or poor. I'll just hang out with them. I'll just, you know, I'll be nice to them. But more than rich or poor, there are lots of these judgments that we, we make. And I believe it's these judgments. The sin, the root of the sin of partiality is this aspect of judging people and making your determination on their worth. How much are they worth to me? And we judge them. You're worth this much. You're worth this much. And we don't put a dollar value on it. But at least when we come to church, we say, hey, these are the people I like. These are the people I don't really care for. And there is a sin that is behind that, that I want us to go and view verse 14 in chapter 2. It says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also by faith itself it does not have work. That does not if it does not have works is dead. You see, what happens in this Passage that's that's talking about the nature of faith and works is that when someone comes into your church, your congregation, and they have a need, they have a desire, they have something that needs to be helped, that faith is simply gaining relationship with that person and helping them meet their needs in what they individually need. And I think this is what a lot of churches need to start focusing on or need to start working towards and understanding the idea that faith does work because so many times when someone comes in through the door, we place these judgments on how they can benefit our community rather than our community saying, how can we benefit them? How can we help them? And this is exactly what the, the congregation in James' kind of go into, it has nothing to do with judging them, but it has everything to do with meeting each other's needs. And that takes relationship. That takes a time and a commitment to get to know one another. And what I find so beautiful is when you really are in need and you bring it to public knowledge in many churches, and I'm, I'm guaranteeing your church the same way, is if someone got sick and needed money to pay their hospital bills, that need would be met in the church that people would gather around and they would wrap their arms around that person. They would pray for that person for healing. They would help give money. They would support them with food. They would do all the things to help that person. And that is faith working. If someone if someone contracted the disease, and you, you'll begin to see faith work. You'll begin to see action. Not just words. Not just words of saying, oh, I hope you get better. You'll see people saying, can I can I bring you dinner? Can I help you pay your medical bills? Do you want someone to, do you, can, I, can I visit you in the hospital room? Can I, can I drive you to the hospital? Can I do these things? What ends up happening is because you have relationship with that person, when that person you have relationship with says and expresses their need, your faith will work because you like them, because you love them, because you care about them. What the book of James is talking about is that when these poor people came in the door, the church became so cold to them. I don't want to help them. They're too poor. They're so poor and they're going to have so many problems. They're going to have so many needs. Yo, our church can't handle that. So you know what? Sit at the floor. Like, I I can't deal with your problems right now. You come in here, you look like you just got out of the dumpster. So you know what? Sit in the back. And, and you know what? When it's time for fellowship, I'm not going to introduce you to anyone. I'm not going to tell you to eat, eat with me. I'm not going to tell you to talk to anyone because you have so many problems and I got enough of my own problems. And so you, you sit back there and, and I don't even want to connect you to a house church. You're not a VIP. You, you need to get out. And I know we don't verbalize that, but that's kind of how we act. And when someone comes in and they're driving that brand new car, they come in with their family and their kids and their kids are cute, they're the ones that say, like, oh my goodness, come and sit with me. Come and spend time with me. Come over to my house. Come over and watch the game with me. I'll, I'll, I'll throw some steaks on the barbecue where we're going to eat well. We're going to have a good time because you know what? You look like you don't have any problems. And so let's gain that relationship. Let's, let's have this Friendship. And yeah, they probably don't have many problems. And so guess what? Your faith will never have to work. Your faith will never have to grow. Your faith will never have to be exercised in any way whatsoever because everyone around you is in the same situation. And you all know how to deal with your problems yourself. There is no need for relying on the Lord. There is no need for faith. Because you know what? Their problems... Oh, I got the answer. You just need to save more money. I got the answer. You just need to send your, school, your kids to a private school. I got the answer. I got the answer. You know what you need to do? Marriage counseling. That's going to help you. That's going to really make your, your life better. And we have the answers to all of life's problems. And again, like I was saying last night, we don't go to the Lord. And our small groups, our house churches, don't become a place... Where we worship God and focus on God, it becomes a group of like-minded people becoming a think tank, brainstorming. Oh man, you got this problem? Let's figure it out. Let's, Let's solve it. You want to get into med school? I got it. Okay. You need to study on your MCATs. You need to talk to your professors. You need to take this internship and then you'll get into med school. Oh man, don't you love this house church? This house church is great. Oh, and and you know what? We know a doctor at church. Maybe if you get a recommendation from him and he'll tell you how to interview. He'll he'll show you how to... You know what? That's going to be really good for you. Oh, you want to get into college? You know what? I know someone in the admissions department. Let me get you a hookup. That'll solve your problems. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were at church to worship God. No, church has become a place where it's networking. Churches become a place where it's about social status. Who do you know? Let me tell you, I know the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the one who has power, the one who has power to forgive sins, The one has power to heal the blind, to heal the lame. I know the one who is able to say to weather, to say to the sky, be still, to say to the storm, do not, do not come this way. The one who is able to walk on water, the one who is able to multiply the fish and the loaves, I know the God of all creation. That's who I'm able to introduce you to. Not the CEO of Microsoft. Not the admissions department at Stanford. The reason why we come to church is to introduce each other into this deeper relationship with God. It's to grow in our commitment to him. And again, you all can be at various levels of commitment, but all I can say is when you get deeper in commitment to the Lord, it just gets better. And yes, the work gets harder. Oh, so much harder. But it's better. And the same thing goes for any human relationship. Being friends with someone is great because they just give you stuff. And, I mean, And They just give you the uh, time and affection. And it's great. But you can go to your own houses. And, and that's how I thought of my wife. It's, it's, I loved being friends with my wife. But dating her was so much better. It cost more money. Oh my goodness, that it cost more money? But it was better. And then getting married to her. Do you know how much weddings cost? So much money. It cost so much money, so much time, so much effort, but it was better. And children don't even get me started. Children are such a huge responsibility and so much work, but it's better. Same goes for the Lord. Some of you are so comfortable being friends with God because you don't see the benefits of what it's like to date God. Some of you don't see the benefit of what it's, like to marry God of what it's like to be with him and to be committed to him in a lifelong relationship but I, I recommend some of you date God and I'm, I'm so dead serious about this I've, I've recommended this to my church and I don't know how many people have taken me up on it get breakfast with God go somewhere bring your Bible bring a podcast with a sermon on it and just sit with God don't do any of that just go to breakfast by yourself and just say Lord I'm here just to hear from you. I'm here because I just, I just want a, a, a time with you. And call it just, you know, a breakfast to yourself. Tell your spouse, tell your friends. Just be like, you know what? It, it's in my calendar. It's in my calendar every week. Every Tuesday morning, I'm going to get breakfast with God. And it's just by myself. I'm going to go to wherever, wherever I want. And I'm just going to eat. And I'm just going to pray. And I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm, I'm here to meet with you. What do you have for me to do? What do you have for, what do you want to tell me? What do you want to say to me? You know, um, as a married person with two children, we have so many people tell me, these older parents, they go, it's so important that you go on dates with your spouse. And I I agree. Absolutely. It's so important that we take time away from our, our responsibilities and our children to go out and have dinner. And these dinners, it's not even that I get to know my wife better. It's just to hear how she's doing. Do you know God wants to hear how you're doing? God desires not because he knows. He knows what you're doing. He sees you in the same way. I see what my wife is doing and I know how she's doing. But you know how beautiful it is when I can hear from my wife's own mouth how she's feeling. I already kind of know how she feels. I, I can see it on her face. You learn how to read how, how, they're, how they're feeling. But it's, there's a different level when she can express her frustrations. When she can say what's going on in her heart. Sometimes a lot of the faith that we need is built upon simply just telling God how angry you are, how frustrated you are, how bothered you are. And it's in that that God wants to speak back to you and say, hey, I get it. You're stressed. And you know what? I'm not here to fix your stress. I'm just here to sit with you. I'm here to be with you. And you know what? He will fix it. And that's what we know. He will help you through it. But I think we skip that, that whole section altogether. And we just run to the end. In, in the next two sermons, I'm, I'm going to explain to you this concept that is very important to me. And I, I'm, I'm still fleshing it out. And so, um, if it doesn't make full sense, if it doesn't make full sense, just just, just bear with me. I'm so young. I'm still trying to figure it out. When we say we have faith. Oh, pastor. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Oh, feels so good, doesn't it? Isn't it weird to be on the receiving end of that one? <laughs> Look at it. He's turning red. <laughs> um, when we say we're people of faith. A lot of times we get that wrong, and, and when people read the book of James, um, this is where people begin to talk about faith and works, and, and it's like, even, even this passage is like, if you say you have faith, let me show you my faith by my works. Let me, let me really get down to the nitty-gritty of, of this, this idea that I'm, I'm seeing in churches every time I speak at churches, and uh, even my own church. We have faith in works. There are people that have faith in faith. But the best way is to have faith in grace. And, and let, me, let, me, let me dive deep into it. Some of us have faith in works. And what that means is, is when we have a problem and we come into these various trials and, and various circumstances, we believe that the better we do, the better of a person we are, because we are a person that has faith in works, if we do the right thing, then God, God will bless us. I have faith in works. I, I think if I serve in the children's department, if I serve on worship team, if I serve on welcoming committee, if I serve on the tech team, if I, if I go out and I help the homeless, if I go on mission trips, if I do all the good things, I have faith that God will reward my good deeds. And then there's another group that have faith in faith. <laughs> They're like, oh, no, no, no. We don't believe in works. We don't believe in work. We don't believe they have to do good things in order to get blessed by God. I have faith in faith. If I pray harder, if I fast more, if I don't doubt, if I get rid of all of the negative thoughts about God, if I, if I just read my Bible more, if I have my devotions, if I go to church, just that alone, just singing the songs with, with, with all of my heart, if I believe it, then God will bless me. And so both these camps, when they come into trials, and things don't go their way. Things go a way that's different from their understanding. The people that believe in faith in works, they'll say, I just need to work harder. And my circumstances will get better. The people that, are people, that have faith in faith, they will say, I need to pray harder. I need to, I need to believe more. I need to fast more. I need to pray more. And then my will will be done. Both of these people are still saying, my will be done. Both of these people are still saying, I want my plans to succeed. And the way my plans will succeed is either I will work harder for God and He will make my plans succeed, or I will pray harder and my plans will succeed. There's a third category, which is faith in grace, which is very different than faith in works and faith in faith. Faith in grace is saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death on the cross and I believe in the resurrection and I believe that God's plan is better than any plan I have for myself. And it's not about me working harder and it's not about me believing harder. It's not about me doing anything harder. It's about the fact that he has done everything already on the cross and I have faith in his work being completed. And so I can live in that. And it's about letting go of your plans letting go of how you think things should be done and saying, Lord, your will be done. Let your situation unfold, not mine. And I have to go back to Jesus because he is our example. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's praying, humanly, by his flesh, by his flesh, he has already done all the works. He has all the faith. And his desire, his fleshly desire is saying, Lord, would you take this cup away from me? This cup of suffering. So if we, if we follow having faith in works, man, God should take away his cup of suffering because Jesus did all the good works, right? I mean, doesn't he deserve doesn't Jesus deserve to have this cup taken away from him? Because, man, he did all the works that he was supposed to do. He did works that you and I cannot even do. He healed people, he literally did miracles. And so, why wouldn't God take away this cup of suffering from him? And if it's talking about faith, Jesus totally believed in God. He was God. So, his faith was more perfect, was better than any of our faith. And yet, when Jesus asked God, would you take this cup of suffering away from me? The answer was no. See, a lot of you are praying to God and you have your prayer requests. And and, and they're good prayers. They're really good prayers. And, And sometimes, there's nothing wrong about asking God to take away this cup of suffering from you. You know, when you see people going through hard times, real trials, real trials that aren't their fault. And again, even the crucifixion wasn't Jesus' fault. So asking the Lord, would you take this cup of suffering away from me? There's nothing sinful about that. That's great that you're asking him. Jesus is explaining, you are allowed to ask God to take away the cup of your suffering. Like You're allowed to go to God and say, would you take away the suffering from me? Would you take away these consequences? I don't want to die on the cross. It's okay to pray that. The question is, is that if you live in grace, if you live in the faith of grace, you're not going to say, I need to work harder, or I need to believe more. It's a submission. Saying, Lord, your will be done. And if you want me to drink this cup of suffering, I will. Because I know your, your plan is greater than mine. I know your way is better than my way. So if you want me to go through this storm, if you want me to to endure this pain, this hardship, this struggle, I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe not that my prayer is going to fix the situation, not that my work is going to fix the situation. I'm going to believe that you are a good father and that you love me and you take care of me. You watch over me. You'll protect me. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus had to endure pain beyond belief. Not just the crucifixion. He had to endure the pain of the sins of the world being placed on his shoulders. And for him to have to actually die as an innocent person. But see, God redeems that. And that's what grace is. God redeems it and he lets us go through suffering he lets us go through these trials and he shows us when we have faith in grace, not faith in works and not faith in our faith. When we have faith in grace, then we have the kind of faith that can move mountains. See, a lot of you have these problems and they go from big to small and, and we've heard that verse, you know, I have faith the size of a mustard seed. You know, and it, it can move mountains. I remember growing up thinking, okay, I just need to have more faith because I want to move mountains. But that was my plan. That was my will. You having faith in your will cannot move any mountain. You having faith in Christ can move every mountain. But you don't get to choose which mountain gets to move. God does. You just get to be a participant, a witness to the mountains that God can move. Some of you are so frustrated with your life because you've not had the correct faith. You've not had the correct relationship with the Lord. You've just been friends. And you know what? God, just being your friends, He is not going to show you His glory just being your friend. And it's not wrong. It's not bad. I'm not trying to shame you. But if you want to experience the glory of God, you need to commit into a deeper relationship with Him. In the same way, Husbands and wives get to experience the glory of marriage, the beauty of marriage. You can't do that as friends. You know, you are, you are a part of the church universal. You are a part of the church body. This is not a message directed just at you. This is a message directed to all believers. I want us to have a relationship with the Lord and for us to believe in Him. This is not a self-help talk. I hate self-help talks. You know, I've listened to them over and over again and it's about you believing. And that's what it is. It sounds like a church service. I've heard it time and time again. Believe in yourself. Have a positive mentality and you can achieve if you believe. And it's these guys that are very charismatic and I look at it and I'm like, I can do that. Like, I can tell people, hey, what is it? What is it that you desire? Just think about it really hard. Visualize it and you'll receive it. And it becomes like a church service. But for us, we can't visualize it because we're not in charge. God is in charge. And we're like children. You know, if a child if a child can dictate their parents and tell them what to do, the parent isn't doing their job. I was thinking of the image I gave you last night of my daughter writhing and screaming on the floor and just being like, ah, I want a cookie, I want a cookie, and all that stuff. You know how wrong it would be for me to pick her up and say, Emery, I'll give you every cookie in the world. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're crying. I'm sorry that you're hurting. I'm going to, you know what? Well, chocolate chip? I'll give you chocolate chip if you want. If you want, you do you want cake? I'll give you cake too. Ice cream? You know how ridiculous as a parent I would look? If my daughter is saying, I want my will to be done. I want a cookie. And if you love me, dad, you'll give me a cookie. Honey, I love you so much. But because I love you, you ain't getting no cookie. I love you. You need to learn. I'm going to give you everything you need. Everything you desire. Everything you could possibly want, you will get. But guess what? What you really want is good character. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) And I think a lot of Christians, we do this thing with our desires. We think we desire that new car. No, what you really desire is a happy life. What you really desire is a fulfilled life. What you really desire is a life that's going to make you passionate and happy, that you are going to be the best version of yourself. You want that. And God knows you want that. And God wants that as well. But the way that your will is saying you are going to achieve your desire is the opposite of how God is going to achieve it. You're saying I want a happy life and a cookie is going to give me a happy life. God is saying, no, what's gonna give you a happy life is learning how to be happy without that cookie. Because then you'll always be happy. But see, some of you have opted for saying, Dad, you're not my dad anymore. I just want the cookie. <laughs> and you know, I've heard that in families, in, in, in marital counseling, in family counseling. I've heard kids tell their parents, my my dad is not paying for my college. So you know what? I'm done. I'm out. I'm never going to talk to them again. And for me, it's like, that's so sad. You are breaking off relationship because your will isn't being done. You're not getting what you want. And I have to realize, I do the same thing with God. God, if you don't do what I I say, I'm done with you. But the truth is, is, we need to look at God and say, God, I believe in you. I have faith in because I have faith in you, I will worship you even when I go through various circumstances. I will worship you even when, even when, even when. because you are my God and you are my king and I love you. Let's pray.